Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach at LSU, Jeremy Jacobs. Thanks for tuning in to episode 319 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this episode is one I've wanted to do for a while and it's with Jeremy Jacobs at LSU and it's all around velocity-based training and one perception that I have and it's something we chat in this chat about in this episode is the research in velocity-based training seems to be going super super quick but information around practice or practice itself isn't quite following behind as quick as maybe other areas. So it's interesting to get Jeremy's take on on why, but also just dive into the the basics and the, the, the benefits of velocity-based training, but also which of them benefits are actually implementable within a program or specifically the LSU program, and which aren't, which are more difficult to implement and potentially why. We also look at uh, combining data, so combining VBT data, GPS, heart rate, force plates, etc., to make really informed decisions, which is what goes on at LSU. Then we have a little chat around testing weeks and the, the need for testing weeks and how Jeremy not only runs a VBT program, but also runs a program that um, that includes percentage-based uh, training as well and how them to really play off and play with each other uh, within the program. So if you're interested in VBT or potentially implementing VBT, this episode is definitely for you. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Perch. Perch enables velocity-based training, no strings attached. Engineered at MIT, Perch uses small and mobile cameras to monitor and manage weight room performance without detracting from it. By passively collecting speed and power data, delivering it in real time to athletes and storing it for post-workout analysis, Perch enhances workouts, reduces injuries and saves time. Perch works with every level of organisation, from the 2019 National Championship LSU football team to the NFL's New York Giants, military installations, high schools and to a number of growing sports performance facilities and even individual garage gyms. Perch is portable, easy to install and intuitive to use, making it ideal for every facility and every training goal. No more pre-workout setup, no more attachments to athletes and barbells, no more broken strings. Set Perch up once and optimize every rep. Reach out to Perch today and for exclusive deals and offers, tell them Rob sent you by going to perch.fit forward slash Pacey. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs' performance intelligence platform to quantify the costs of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. 
So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasure U is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasure U have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at imeasureyou. So without further ado, over to the episode with Jeremy Jacobs. Thanks for tuning in to the Pace Performance Podcast. So this afternoon, I am delighted to welcome Jeremy Jacobs. So welcome to the podcast, mate. Appreciate it, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for giving up your time. Anyone doesn't know who you are, you just want to give us a bit of a background on yourself, education-wise, and your role currently at LSU? Sure. So currently, I am the one of the assistant uh, strength conditioning coaches here under coach Tommy Moffitt. Um, I was born and raised in Wisconsin, uh, just outside of Milwaukee in the suburbs. And um, grew up there, I guess, the, my, the first love of my life was football. And uh, through playing football, I fell in love with the weight room. And realizing uh, I'm a pretty uh, genetically, I guess, a pretty average athlete. And so something that I loved with when I found the weight room, uh, as a 13 year old was, it was something that I could control. It was like, I could control my effort and my attendance and just showing up every day and doing the work. So that was something that always uh, intrigued me. And then uh, I kind of, we briefly kind of talked about this. I, I don't have your traditional path to becoming a collegiate strength conditioning coach. Love it. I, yeah. So I, um, like I said, I've always loved football, always loved sport and, and training was kind of it. But I was all set to go to college out of high school. Um, either could have played like some low level D3 football, or, uh, I was looking at going to school for maybe some sports medicine. And I really didn't know what that meant. It just, it sounded cool. And, uh, you know, I was, I was like, it sounds like I can make a career, but I could be around sport basically. And, um, and then nine 11 happened. So after nine 11, um, I joined the military, I joined the army and, um, I spent four years in the army, did a few deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan with the second ranger battalion out of Fort Lewis, Washington, which is, uh, by Seattle. And, uh, so after my four years, I decided to get out and, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. Uh, I ended up working as a government contractor for four years for the government, doing background investigations, doing all sorts of stuff. Um, and, uh, believe it or not, at the end of that, I, I started playing a lot of golf. And through uh, that, I found myself living in San Diego at a professional golf school. I was going to be a golf professional. Uh, so I did that for two years. And, I, and I'm talking like assistant golf professional, like teaching professional, not like playing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And uh, so when I started working in the golf business, I realized very, very quickly that uh, I don't know if I can do this the rest of my life. Um, but what I did discover through that, it was actually through uh, a CrossFit gym, I found weightlifting again. And I hadn't cleaned and jerk and snatched since high school when I played football. So um, I started weightlifting 
and fell in love with it all over again with the bar and loved it so much. I spent so much time there that the weightlifting coach there started asking me to coach. It asked me if I wanted to get my USAW and start coaching for him. And so I started doing that. Um, and next thing I knew, I was enrolled in at 29 years old. I was enrolled in an exercise science program back in my undergrad and uh, at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. So went back to school, got my uh, undergrad in exercise science uh, at UWM in Milwaukee and worked for that school. Uh, it's a smaller D1 school. It doesn't have football, but all the other sports. So that's, that was my first like introduction into college. Um, and then I was very fortunate there because the head strength coach at the time is a guy by the name of Brian Wiseman, who's now uh, the basically the Olympic director at Ole Miss. And he had been an assistant previously at uh, Ole Miss under guys like Aaron Osmus and Noel Durfee at Duke and at USC uh, currently. And so he was like, hey, if you um, – what are your goals? I said, I want to be around major college football. And he said, well, if that's what you want to do, you need to find a way to work for Coach Moffitt at LSU. And so I found myself – I started as an intern like all of Coach Moffitt's assistants do and then went to grad school here at LSU um, and then before I had finished grad school, um, Coach Moffitt hired me full-time, and uh, this is now my fifth season here with, with him. Excellent. When we spoke the other day, you said, oh, we'll have a little chat about my background because it's non-traditional. Yeah. Instantly, I thought, I wonder if you're military. Yeah. And I don't know what. We hadn't obviously spoken face-to-face. We spoke on the phone and just thought, yeah, I got that, got that feeling. Yeah, yeah and, 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 and it, you know – so a lot of guys here have played college football, right? That's that's the normal like strength coach route here, um, or at least been around college athletics. But it's funny the the correlation between military and what I did in the military and a thing like college football. There's still so many similarities that you can use as teaching points with these guys um, that it's just like a different path to get there. But a lot of the same um, lessons apply. What, what what comes to mind when you say that? Just like teamwork, camaraderie, hard work, um, going through adversity. Um, you know, that's one thing about one thing that's made Coach Moffitt's program so great is one, it's rooted in the fundamentals, but two, it's it's tough. Like you can't you can't be mentally weak and make it through four years at LSU going through the strength conditioning program. Like you just can't. Um and so teaching guys lessons of of stuff that I've gone through even in the military of pushing through you know, embracing the suck or whatever you want to call it. You know, you, you've heard plenty of people describe that stuff. Um, all those lessons apply, apply to football. Um, you know, even just taking authority and being coachable and being, you know. So something we talk about a lot with these guys is you can't be a, a true leader until you've been a good follower, right? So teaching these guys how to take coaching. And then at that point, you can build them as a leader. Mm-hmm. What was it like going back to college as a – as a mature student, yeah, yeah, uh, tough. It was tough. It was tough at first. Um, I just I remember I came out of the advisor's office when I saw the blueprint of like this is going to take some time. Um, I was like, well, at some point I'm either going to be I'm going to be 31 with a degree or 31 without a degree. So um, I just need to start. And I realized college is uh, maybe not as difficult when you're 28, 29 because. I had a clear goal of what I wanted the whole time. Uh, a lot of people were in these exercise science programs and they ask them, well, what do you want to do? And people really don't know. I had a, I, I want to be a head strength coach and, you know, major college football. Uh, and so having that clear purpose every day uh, made it very easy to sit in front of the classroom, take notes, do your homework, 
take it all seriously. Um, and what was cool is I was also working at UWM at the time in, uh, as a strength coach. And so I, some of the stuff I was learning, I could directly apply immediately to athletes in the weight room. Um, and I was still coaching weightlifting for uh, a company called Milwaukee Barbell. So I was spending a lot of time around athletes and coaching them. So I got to kind of be in the fire as I was learning it. So I think it was a, it helped me progress maybe a little faster. Mm -hmm. When you got that advice to say that you need to work under Coach Moffat, mm -hmm. how did you then bridge that gap to actually become an intern to him? Yeah, great question. So, uh, you know, I started listening to him on podcasts. I started listening to what he did. And um, the more I listened to him, the more I realized, like, because down at, here at LSU, we're rooted in, in the fundamentals and rooted in weightlifting. So we clean and jerk and snatch. Um, and so having that background helped me. The way Coach teaches the lifts and the way he learned them, um, through Gail Hatch and, and all the, all of his mentors, uh, is very similar to how I learned them. So coaching here was very easy, but originally I was going to go to, um, I was going to intern under coach Durfee at Duke and then try to bridge that gap with coach Durfee to come down here to LSU. Um, and then one day I, I walked into the weight room EWM and, and the head strength coach, Brian was like, Hey, did you see football scoop today? And I said, no. And the first posting was LSU internship. So I, he's like, you need to leave right now and go get your stuff in there. So I went home, got all my stuff in and then it's funny. So the, the person, uh, one of the other assistants here, Jake, who does the internship program, uh, I applied to him. I didn't know who Jake Riedel was. And then I, um, I looked him up on Facebook and it said we had three mutual friends on Facebook. Well, he's from the same area I'm from in Wisconsin. Didn't know it. So we had mutual friends through when he was, uh, in Wisconsin and, my time there now as a weightlifting. At one point, I was uh, the vice president of Wisconsin weightlifting. So I knew all the clubs and we're putting meets on. And uh, so through that, I was like, hey, do you know this guy, Jake? And some of the other coaches were like, yeah, he actually interned at our facility back in the day. Blah, blah, blah. And uh, long story short, they shot him a message. And the next day, Jake called me and um, still had to go through the process. Like you, you send in videos down here. You got to make, they make sure that you're a good lifter, that you have experience, all that other stuff. And then you really, really want to be a strength coach. Um, and then that, yeah. The next thing I knew I was, I had to look up Baton Rouge on a map. I was like, I know I'm going, I know, I know it's LSU. I know the brand, but I don't, I got to yeah. figure out where I'm about to go. Yeah, absolutely. So I watched your, um, your talk at MIT. Was that last year? Was that next? Uh, it feels no it was 2020 it feels like it was, oh, was about it? three okay. years ago but it was just this, <laughs> yeah it was just yeah. this spring yeah okay so what what was and that was on velocity based training which i'd encourage yes. people to watch because it was it was a really interesting Good, it was a really reasonably short wasn't it like 15 20 yeah minutes. yeah it was yeah. um i've never even heard of this mit sports analytics conference before but they have a a separate stage area that's called your competitive advantage talks oh, okay. um and those are shorter those are like 20 minutes and under and so they, and they crank them out all day. So you're out there, um, they're pretty, uh, disciplined on the time frame of what you're talking okay. be. So, yeah. So you stop or you, you go in. Yeah. It's literally yeah. like, Hey, <laughs> like they, they're giving you flashes. Like, Hey, okay. you're, you got one minute left. You need to wrap this thing up. Yeah. Okay. So the, with that Vin VBT, where, where did your interest come about with regards to VBT? So velocity based training is something that, um, been, you know, you read about it in old Russian literature. Uh, about just tracking the, the velocities of the bar and where they found their greatest velocities at what percentages. And then obviously Tendo units. Uh, we had some Tendo units at UWM that we used. And then here, uh, Coach Moffat's been doing some sort of EBT for, since he's been here, over 20 years. So we had Tendos when I first got here. 
Um, the issue with the Tendo unit is um, just the footprint that it is that it takes up, and the fact that you constantly have to move the string, and is the string at the right angle, and um, and unfortunately, the the little cord, the cable that connects the Tendo to the microcomputer is pretty fragile, especially to be like laying on the floor in a weight room, and so that tended to break quite a bit. Um, we'd have issues, and really, you can only get them fixed through Sornex. And if Sornex can't fix it, then they have to send it actually to Tendo in Slovakia. And so you have this giant, you know, uh, window no of time frame, you know, and you'd get it, you'd ship it there and you'd see it a month later. So it made it very cumbersome to use it. And so we didn't, we only implemented it during certain times of the year to just kind of chase like, you know, rate of force development and power and all that stuff. But uh, it wasn't something that we could just implement daily without the headache of, because we have 22 platforms here. So uh, there's a lot of moving parts when you have a big group with our team. And um, it, it, it can cause a lot of extra, almost like a safety hazard when you have 22 platforms going with tender units getting moved around and shifted and bars getting dropped. So um, it was something that limited our, our ability to, I think, use it. And then we connected with a company called Perch. And when Perch came in here, the Perch product has made it so easy and seamless into our racks that now we can use it um, every single day. And we and, and it's changed how we look at VBT because um, it's it's something that we don't ever have a group without it used or turned on. Mm -hmm. I'm interested to know about that transition between Tendo and Perch. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a relatively new company in Perch. Yep. And obviously, Tendo's been around forever. Everyone's forever. had one or mm -hmm. still got one, sending it back and forth to Slovakia. But how did you go about that transition, knowing that what you were getting was going to be firstly better than what you had, but valid, reliable, all that, yeah. all, the, all the kind of stuff? So, there, uh, so Purchase CEO um, and founder, uh, one of the founders is Jacob Rothman. Uh, so, the Perch came about by three guys out of MIT that. Um, looked at how velocity-based training was done and thought maybe there's a better way to do it. So they created this product and they just cold emailed Coach Moffat. Hey, would you be interested in seeing something like this? He forwarded it to me and said, hey, check these guys out and find out like, is this something worth doing? So it really started with a, a Skype call with Jacob about explaining his product, what it could do. And then we said, well, hey, send us a demo unit. So Jacob actually flew down here. He's out of Boston. Flew down here, set it up for us, showed us um, and we just played around with it for, for a while. So it's, um, the nice thing about it, cause it's a camera based system is there's no strings. There's no, there's no attachments to the bar. So, and we, you know, the way our racks are set up, we squat and clean and everything outside the rack. And then we bench inside the rack. So the camera moves itself depending on, um, which exercise we're doing. And so it makes it very easy to, to interchange, to go from exercise to exercise. And then it displays it on the tablet on the uh that's just magnetized right to our rack and so i i train all of our wide receivers here and so i had it down on my wide receiver racks for six months um and just getting to use it and 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 then the best part about it is because purchase one they're so new but they're they're customer service based so i would go to jacob and say hey what if it could do this and he would ask well is that something that you think more coaches would want and i would say that yes that would make sense um, and so they'd go back and they'd re-engineer something and they'd fix it and then send out a new update and then it would be fixed or whatever the issue was. So it's actually changed quite a bit from the first time that we started using it to where we're at now. Um, and then I would start moving that perch demo unit around on different racks so all the different coaches could use 
have a chance to play with it and just give feedback. Um, and then we take all that feedback and send it to Perch. And, uh, and then at some point we, you know, it actually helped what, what we did was, um, you know, cause everything in this world is about budgets and logistics and all that other stuff. Right. So we actually had one of our ADs come and lift on it. And so he came in and did bench press on the rack and he saw the, the bar graphs go up on the tablet and said, sat up and said, what are, what do we need to do to do this? Nice. And that's, that's all to, you Gosh, know, and so, yeah, right. So that's all it was. And now we have, you know, 22 racks with 22 perch units on it. Um, and it's definitely made how we train, uh, different. Interesting. So from a, from a practice, very practical level, and we've all, well, not maybe all, but there's a lot of research out there when wow. it comes to VBT. Right. But the benefits of velocity-based training for you as an assistant strength coach at LSU, mm -hmm. what are, what are they? So the the one of the big benefits, right? And and I'm by no means would consider myself a guru in this, right? There's like Dr. Brian Mann. There's so many people out there that have put out stuff that I've read to just learn about it. Um, but taking what they've done in research and then trying to apply it on a daily basis in here is kind of um, uh, what we've been what we've been doing. And it what makes our job easier is it makes programming easier because you get a true snapshot of where your guys are at. Um, and we still use the speed velocity zones that 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 Brian Mann has created and shown. And um, so when we're looking at what percentages are we in, what zone should we be in? Um, and what percentages correlate to those speed velocity zones and where we should be if we're trying to train power or if we're trying to train true strength or whatever it is, um, we use that. And so there's a little sticky note on Coach Moffitt's computer that sits right there. And as he's programming, he just uses it as a reference guide to make sure he's staying within what we're trying to do. Um, another th huge thing that Perch does is that it's a cloud-based system. And so it sends all that data to the cloud. And then I can sit on my computer and I can export all of it in Excel, like real time. Um, and so at the end of every day now, I export the data and I make some charts and graphs just looking at what we did that day. And so it takes the guesswork out of what we did. Um, we know where everybody lifted at. We know whether this athlete, you know, because we still base or we still program based on percentages. And then there's days where we say, here's what we'd like to hit at this velocity, but regardless, hit this velocity. And then there's certain days like in a different part of the season or the off season where we'll say, I don't care what the velocity is. We're going to stay at this percentage. And like, it just gives you a gauge of where your guys are at, um, CNS wise and bodies recovering. Um, so that, you know, with the Tendo, the next rep happens, that data is gone, you know, unless you're keeping a real time log of it, which we did for a while. And it's just very cumbersome to do. Now I can export at the end of the day, I get everybody's lift, I get everybody's percentage, I get what velocity they do, whether it's peak or average, I get their peak power output, their average power output, um, and then you get stuff like eccentric time that they use an eccentric velocity. So you get certain metrics in there that just give, like I said, paints a whole picture of where your guys are at in the weight room. Uh, and it's kind of like, I guess I would equate to like the GPS that was, you know, on the field stuff that we've been doing now for over a decade. It's like taking that technology now and finally actually getting it in the weight room so now we're tracking this portion as well um, so it makes our job easier um, and it makes coach Moffitt's job easier because you can see a is his program being implemented properly the way he would like it to be done because um, ultimately as an assistant that's what my job is it's not to whether to agree or disagree with him it's to make sure that i'm being an extra voice for him and implementing the things that he wants to be done uh, and so it's a way for him to kind of look at that and say, yes, 
we're coaching it the way I want, we're hitting what I want to do, and we're getting the training effect that I'm trying to get when I write this program. I have had the feeling for a while that despite all the VBT research that's out there, and there is people obviously like yourselves who are implementing it, it seems like it's the it's one technology that maybe the research there's a lot of, but the actual implementation, I don't know if it's just my narrow view of what people are doing out there, but it doesn't that that transition doesn't seem to have been made super, super well. Right. And there seems to be some kind of disconnect. And it almost feels like there's I don't know, that the research is out there that's 10 out of 10, but what's actually implemented in practice is maybe one or two out of 10. Right. And there seems to be that disconnect compared to something like maybe GPS, where the practitioners seem to be maybe driving the research. It's maybe the other way around. Right, 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 right. Why, why do you think that is? With, I, do you think I'm completely off there? No. Or um, if so, do you think there's a reason for that? Well, I, this is all my, I guess, my hypothesis on it, but I think some of it is the technology is finally catching up. Okay. Right. And, and so now I, I can, like I said, I can, you know, we've had this now for almost two years. I can go back and I have two years worth of data that I can pull and look at where before with like a Tendo unit, you can't, couldn't necessarily do that. Um, and I think that will help, you know, same thing with GPS. We can go back and we can look at how long we've been using it here for 12 to 13 years. You now you have that much data to look at, start painting a, a picture of teams and um, how you guys are performing. But uh, I wonder if some people, sometimes people get stuck in down the rabbit hole of like VBT being um, only one type of thing. Like uh, I have to program burst based off velocity, which is, I guess what true VBT is. Um, we're not going to talk about percentage. We're just going to work off of when you hit 0.8 meters per second. That's what we're trying to do. And um, where, when you kind of couple that with all of the research that's been done on percentage based or traditional based programming, and you, pair that with VBT, you start seeing how the two kind of converge and you can, and you can see how they, um, uh, like help each other. Um, and so that's something I think we're starting to find now, just because we've accumulated enough data, we can go back and we can look, we have, um, another assistant on staff here, his name's Tim Johnson. He does a lot of charts with this stuff with like load velocity profiling and with like tonnage reports. So, the, and not traditional tonnage of just how much volume I did, but like how many reps did we do at this percentage? What was our normal velocity at that percentage? And how many, what was the total number of reps per set that we normally did at that velocity? So we start to see where was our volume accumulated? Uh, how well did we normally move 60% on back squat? What should our VLO be in that? And then we start comparing team to team. And you're looking like, well, last year's team, we could move 57% at this speed where this year's team we're actually moving 61 percent at that speed so are we getting better um and i th i think that what velocity based training does is yes it helps you from overtraining 100 percent, but it also helps you from under training so there'll be days where you look at a gps report off of a practice and say wow like those dudes that was that was a banger yesterday at practice they're going to come in tomorrow and be hurting and so maybe we need to pull back a little bit in the weight room because of how hard practice was yesterday. Well, then they get in there. And if you do based on velocity, guys were smashing weights the next day. And you're like, oh, like I might have pulled back harder if I didn't have this. But I'm looking at what you're doing with this thing. And it allowed us to keep more weight on the bar. So now I know I'm training where that guy's CNS is optimally 
to make sure that we're still reaching the goal that we want, which in the sport of football is peak power, right? Like it's a power sport. We want to make sure they're powerful on Saturdays. Everything's all about making sure that they're ready to go on Saturday. So I think that helped us from undertraining just as much as it did from overtraining. And something uh, Coach Moffat says all the time here is too much looks like not enough. And sometimes overtraining looks just like undertraining and vice versa. So you can't really tell. So this has just helped us kind of steer us and guide us to make sure that we're staying within those parameters on both sides. And I think that it's shown as far as like injury rates, soft tissue injuries um, have gone down dramatically since this because guys are putting more intent into the bar every time they lift it because there's a certain velocity that they're chasing. Um, and we don't just say move it as fast as possible. We give them a target and we found that that is a better way to motivate them or have them hit rather than say, Hey, I want you to squat this as fast as you can say, no, I want you to squat this at 0.85 meters per second. And you'd be surprised they squat one and it's 0.84. And then you're like, you're close, bud, but that's not it. And then the next rep they're at 0.85 or 0.86. And you can see that just that little extra intent. Um, I think that carries over to some of the injury prevention stuff that we've also seen with it. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Jeremy. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, more along the lines of the barriers to VBT implementation. But also really interestingly, I know I've hinted at it a few times as we've gone through part one, but combining data, so combining velocity-based training data, GPS, heart rate, force plates, and the, the plethora of other devices that are potentially used within the program, how that's all pulled together and really uh used to inform programming and decision making so a really interesting part two coming up with jeremy but just before we do dive into part two i want to say a big thanks to hawking dynamics for sponsoring this episode today so hawking dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system so the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can I mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. And also sponsoring this episode today is Black Box Fitness. So Black Box Fitness are a sports performance equipment manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So if you are looking for a full gym fit out, if you're lucky enough to be looking for a full gym fit out, or just want to add additional pieces to what you've already got, whether that be barbells, dumbbells, plates, maybe a new rack, some flooring, etc., etc., have a little look at what black box fitness can offer so you can head to their website which is blkboxfitness.com or for a more informal view of what they do head over to their instagram because they've got some really cool images of some of the recent projects that they've run in australia 
in the UK, in Europe, etc. So head over to their Instagram, which is at BLKBoxFitness, and they're the same on Twitter. A couple of questions, and we'll get on to the integration of various different data streams in a, in a little while. Before we jump onto that, velocity loss is something that, again, going back to the research, a lot of work out there being done on velocity loss. Is that something that you implement at LSU? Is that something you've tried and, and not gone with? Where's your head at? Where's the guy's head at with, with velocity loss? Yeah, so I've, I've used some of it with, like, I had other teams, not just football when I first started. Now, now I just have football. But before that, I, you know, I've coached our volleyball team. I've coached track and field. I've coached um, swim and dive here. And so um, with some of my teams when I was programming, I've done some of the velocity-based stuff where, hey, we're going to do as many sets as it takes until you break a threshold. And then we're done. And, and it's a way, because I've seen studies, you know, there's a, 2000, um, a 2011 study, I think it was, that like talks about um, people programmed to a 20% loss versus people that programmed to a 40% loss. And the difference between just the total volume that the 40% group did extra just to achieve that loss and velocity, and then what that carried over to um, their performance metrics. Um, and they saw a better performance with less volume based off the VBT because they, as soon as your body quit, then um, uh, they would stop training. I've done it with almost like conditioning style stuff in the weight room with like some other sports. Like for instance, if you have a sport like swimming and diving, um, I don't need to condition them because they're in the water. Uh, but maybe my divers do, but they're not runners. So I'm not going to go out there and run them all the time if I'm, you know. Uh, so I would do some type of conditioning in the weight room. And some of that was you're going to lift, we're going to do as many rounds as we can of certain exercises with this, like maybe rest work to rest ratio. And we're going to base it off of when your, when your velocity dips. So I have used that stuff currently with the team, especially right now in season, just because of the logistics of the limited, limited number of, of time we have with them and our, and our hours per week. Um, we can't exactly get dialed into that. Um, but we definitely look at like right now we're doing more of a true velocity based program where we say, regardless of the percentage, we want you to hit this velocity regardless right now. Um, and then week by week we track whether they're actually hitting those, hitting those percentages or not hitting those percentages. Do we need to pull back a little bit? Do we need to add a little bit? That kind of stuff. So we program on a week to week basis right now in season based off what we see from the perch data. And you may have just answered that then, but is there any particular times in the year and what dictates that time, mm -hmm. the reason why you would do purely percentage-based, purely yeah. VBT, or a mix of both? So in-season, mostly pure VBT, especially with our like two deep guys, we, guys that we know are playing on Saturday. Some of our more developmental guys that like are in the program, we just know need to get stronger. Uh, we might stay a little tighter the percentages and, hey, look, that velocity dropped a little bit, but at some point, if you're going to play here at LSU, you need to be able to, to lift that weight. Um, where out of season, this is actually kind of an interesting, so like, so we're still kind of relatively new to this. So, um, like last spring we came back after the national championship and, you know, we knew this team was going to be young, a uh, completely different team than the team that had just won the national championship because of, you know, we lost 16 guys to the NFL, um, and then you throw in stuff like COVID and all that stuff that happened after that, uh, you know, it just changes the dynamic of your team. But when we first came back before COVID had hit and we started our off season program, we were the, 
the talk was we're going to focus on technique. So let's not use the perch. Let's just work on technique. So we're not guys aren't chasing numbers and blah, blah, blah. And uh, the first day we had front squats program. So we're front squatting and coach Moffat comes up to me and he's like, where do you think they're at? You know? And I was like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it looks good, but I couldn't tell you. And so he's like, you know what? After the first group, he's like, let's just, let's, let's perch the front squats. Let's, let's do the front squats. Let's at least start doing that. And it, and it wasn't because we were chasing a number. He just wanted to see, all right, am I in the hypertrophy zone of my speed zones or am I doing, are these guys hitting it where I would like them to hit it and moving it the way I want them to and perch because it's so easy being in the rack. It just was so, we just flipped it on, logged the kid in and, and hit start. And he was able to start getting that data and it just helped his programming. So we weren't doing a true VBT where we were programming off velocities. He was just using it as a gauge as he programmed week to week of how they were handling the load. One thing that's talked about in the research lies force velocity profiling. Is that something that you've utilized, especially with such a big turnaround of athletes yeah. to get an idea of where people are at and what you, how you guys should be programming? Again, you may have just answered that question yeah. with, uh, with Coach Moffitt, but yeah, so what's your thoughts on that? We have slowly started, and this is, goes back to some of the charts that Tim makes. Uh, we've slowly started to, to, as we get more data, you can build that whole profile. Um, and a true velocity profile would be, you know, you start at like 30%, you do a few reps, you slowly work your way up. We haven't done that with the guys. But we have worked through enough percentages between 45% and maybe a true 1RM that you get that data. You can start to predict some of that force velocity curve. And then you can also see just on rate of force development, are we starting to push that curve to the right? Like, Are these guys starting to move heavier loads faster? Are they, are they handling it better? Which would be a good metric to show for like a sport of football. Um, so, And then you can also tell it's interesting when, when we start plotting these charts and not like I'm not a – sports scientist, I don't love statistics, but some of the basics of stats, when you start looking at the R squared value, you can tell a an accomplished lifter, a guy who's been in the program for a while, or who came from a good high school that came from a good lifting program, his training age, if it's higher, he will have a higher R squared value closer to one. So you see this, his scatter plot on the chart of where he's at from percentage to percentage is much tighter. You get a kid in here that maybe didn't lift in high school, came from came from a track program, um, and just is starting at square zero, square zero, and we're starting with the basic barbell movements. His scatter plot is all over the place because he's just inconsistent. Um, so that's something we see as they train. Their R squared value on these force velocity profiles gets a little tighter, so we can make be make a true prediction on some stuff. Um, but that's been, I guess, one hurdle is based on training age. Uh, we have used it to see. Where, at what velocities are most guys, if they ever failed on a 1RM, what does that occur at? And so we put off uh, velocity thresholds of once the bar drops below this number on back squat, I don't care if they hit it or not, they're done. Just for safety, right? Um, and it's something Coach Moff has talked about as far as, you know, um, we're in the business of creating strength. We're not necessarily in the business of displaying it. So, yes, we would like to see their numbers go up. It looks cool. We put it up there. We, we send it to Coach O, and he likes, you know, obviously you want to show that progression that your program is working. But now you can also show that with velocity. They're like, hey, look, he moved 315 pounds on bench press at this a year ago. Look at him this year. Like, he is getting more powerful in the weight room. Um, so that's another have, way that we've used it. Have you found that that figure 
to be different based on the different guys that have come into the program from, like you say, track under, um, maybe a little bit under training in terms of the weight room stuff that they've done versus the guys who have Absolutely. more established. Yeah. Yeah. I found that, uh, I think the research shows this way as yeah. your, your training age, right, goes up, then those velocity zones actually start shifting to slower zones. Um, I've seen some guys that were maybe even competitive power lifters, um, really grind out some heavy numbers. Um, where if it was somebody that had a lower training age, they would have been stapled and that would not have happened. So that's for sure. I can tell, um, looking at it, like if I have a freshman coming in, that cutoff might be a little higher than a, than a fourth or fifth year senior of where we're at. And the nice thing is, is I've, I've known my guys really, really well, you know, having worked with them every single day in and out with the receiver group. So I know what good numbers are and where they should be at based on their percentages and I can tell how they're feeling and functioning based on where they're hitting. So even in the in season right now, if they're not hitting certain velocities at certain percentages, I, I'm, you know, Hey, what's up? Did you not sleep last night? What's going on in your home life? Are you eating? Uh, and we try to get to the root cause. Are we overtraining? Uh, and I look at the mileage that we get from the GPS. Hey, have, are you just putting out way more mileage than some of the other guys that's beating you up? We got to pull back. And then I communicate that with our wide receiver coach. And so we have a good relationship to where he, every week at a certain time of the week, I send him the mileage of the week and he starts basing the rest of our practices leading up to game time and how guys are going to get reps based off of what the mileage is too. So I paint that whole picture. Hey, this guy's doing great this week. This guy's kind of eh. And, and then we try to keep them um, like the razor, you know, or the, like his, his razor pointed at the end uh, leading into Saturday. Yeah. Interesting. Again, I've got one more question before we get onto that integration of all the uh, of all the data. It sounds like to me that the real value is the is the the data that you've accumulated over time, whether that be the tendo and obviously moving into your your, your transition over to to perch. Do you think that people are maybe a little bit quick, and this may come back to the the usability or the integration of the technology, maybe a little bit quick to move on to something else or expect something more like here and now from VBT rather than seeing the the benefits of collecting it long-term and, and really get then getting the value of it further down the line to really start to understand the athletes that you've got three, two, three, four years down the line. Yeah. I think it's, you know, uh, and I don't think anything in this business is, is, uh, is microwavable. You know, everything is about, you gotta, you gotta put the work in. And you got to be consistent over time. Um, and a lot of the stuff that we've learned from this um, was stuff that Coach Moffat's been doing for 20 years. It's just now we have data to back up and show like, yes, this is why it works. This is why you still do these movements. Um, and, I, and, you know, I don't want to debate whether you should do this movement or do that movement, you know, because that world in social media gets, uh, you know, beaten to death every day. Yeah. Uh, but something I appreciate is – Look, like we're rooted in like we're rooted in the fundamentals. We're gonna pull, we're gonna bench, we're gonna clean, we're gonna snatch, we're gonna jerk, we're gonna press, we're gonna do pull-ups, we're gonna run fast to get fast, we're gonna do posterior chain work, you know, all that stuff. It's all rooted in that program. And all this data does is make sure that we're doing it right and really we're progressing it correctly. Like are we are we taking too big of a jumps? Hey, are the guys ready for this? Are we even some of it we might do and say, you know, I don't even like that. Let's, let's do something completely different or be like, no, we're exactly where we need to be. Um, but I do think now accumulating the data over time has, will definitely help. Um, 
And it's, you know, you can't just come in here and move a bar fast once and expect to like get faster, right? But doing that repetitively every single time you come here, and it's really not about how fast did you move it all the time. It's about your intent. Did I intend to move it? If I'm, if I'm pulling a heavy deadlift, that bar is not going to move fast. But am I putting the same amount of intent into that bar to move it as fast as I can is going to be the training effect that I want. Um, and then obviously taking light weights and moving them even faster. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's, uh, it's something that over time helps. And I, what it does is what I'm starting to realize is you can really take – because every team is different year to year. You can take the 2019 LSU football team. We have all this data on it, and you kind of put it in a box, and you put it on the shelf. And now we're accumulating data on the 2020 team, and you put it on a shelf. And in the future, you'll be able to go back and say, this team looks like that 2019 team. Like, we're there. Like, we should expect that same type of at least athleticism on the field. Whether they can play football, that's a different, you know, different <laughs> argument. But, right? but so that's, I think, the more as time goes on, it gets better and better because you just get a better picture of – and I, I think we're there – a little bit with um, GPS because we've had it for now over a decade. And so you have the yardage, like how um, traditionally how they, and even through the season, like did we keep getting, doing more yardage or did we slowly start taking yardage off as we got deeper in the season? You know, what's our heart rate at? What's our, cause we use polar. So what is our part heart rate at? What is our yards per minute at? What are our excels and D cells at? All that stuff paints a picture as well. And now with something like perch, the VBT, I think we're starting to get where you can, you know, uh, look back and say, hey, look, we used to snatch like this and now we're snatching like this. Um, good and bad. You know, maybe you need to make a different a program or maybe you need to continue doing what you're doing. You can show progression, though, through that. Mm -hmm. On the readiness side of things, another, again, another thing that's, that's spoken about when it comes to velocity-based training, is that something that you actively do in terms of maybe like a, in, involved in a warm-up and actually take note of that or is that something that you do elsewhere yeah we don't do a test okay. of it but we also have force plates so okay. they jump on the force plate twice a week whether we're in season or out of season uh and we track you know all the different metrics of force plates but we look at rsi uh, which is a good metric for for readiness and then looking at concentric rate of power development divided by body mass uh, we look at their eccentric braking um, so we look at their peak power. Uh, and we, so we look at all those metrics on the force plate as well. So something that was cool, I would create these charts. Um, and I, like I had them, I think on that presentation for the MIT thing where it was the whole season and it was every set of back squat that we had done. And it was, uh, like our Monday lift, every set of back squat, uh, some type of press, like a bench or floor press or whatever we were doing because we changed that exercise up. But we always back squatted on Mondays and we always sumo deadlifted on Mondays in season. Something that Perch and the VBT thing changed is we squatted lighter throughout the entire season than Coach Moffat has ever done before. That was um, last year? Last year. Because okay. we saw the numbers, uh, the velocities they were able to move, that power, at, uh, power output at, and how it correlated to our RSI numbers and concentric rate of power development numbers. So we saw positive trend lines through our force plate data based on what we're doing in the weight room. And we were able to track that over you know, our season last year with the playoffs and everything. It turns out to be like a 23-week season. I mean, it's a really long stretch time. And so that's your longest chunk of, of training block that you have for the entire year was happened to be our in-season program. So we have to be getting better throughout the in-season program. Otherwise... You're, you're wasting too much time. 
And so we were able to see that we were squatting a certain way, using sumo deadlift as a strength movement, and the progression of our of our force plate data in the positive trend line throughout the entire season. And then we looked at our GPS data and we ran our fastest speeds in practice on the practice field the week of the national championship game. Uh, and I don't, th- you know, it's not just what we did, but it's, but hopefully we definitely helped um, uh, impact that in a positive way. And so that has changed something that like he has done because what we realized is, so I create this daily chart after every lift and it has four metrics on it. We look at your average velocity per set or per uh, per set of the exercise. What percentage did that correlate to? Um, just so we know. And then we look at peak power in watts and we look at um, what was the average load on the bar for pounds. So we would look at that and I create that, give it to Coach Moffat, he would look at it and that's how he would progress our week to week program. But we started realizing at certain percentages we hit higher peak power so let's stay within those percentages, especially in season. And so we ended up with us squatting lighter and maybe even using the back squat as more of a power movement in season and then using sumo deadlift as a strength movement, you know, instead of vice versa. So it changed a little bit in how, for sure, how we program, but it correlated, but it was, it was cool to see the force plate data continue to increase and get improved throughout the season, even though they're beat up. We normally see a a dip on Mondays, they plan Saturdays, we'd see a dip on Mondays, but then by Thursday, we knew we had a number that we were trying to reach back on the force plate data, and we knew that they were recovering properly if when we were hitting that number, and then they go play again on Saturday, and so that was kind of the, the wave of the season that we would look at. So, so peak power was being maintained in the squats and sumo deadlifts, yep. but the weight wasn't getting ramped up like it normally would. Correct. But, but you were seeing the benefits on the force plate because that's what was important. Okay. That was important, right? And then also, we had guys PR their sumo deadlift in season because if we program a velocity for them and they felt good, they were ripping weight off the farm. And so it was like, well, put some more on, put some more on. And then some guys would get, you know, and they're competitive too. Last year's team was very, very competitive. They competed at everything. So they'd look over at the platform next to them, see the bar, see, the, see where the velocity was and be like, uh-uh, I can do that. They'd walk back over and they'd rip the ball off the floor. And so I'd be like, well, we were supposed to hit 80% today, but you just hit 102. So, but like you still, you're still moving it at 0.56 meters per second. So I can't, you know, killed it. Um, so that was a cool way to see like, hey, we're still getting stronger as well. We're not losing that strength base. And, but we're still, our rate of force development though is helping us perform and be twitchy. And then when they get on the field, use that to play football. Interesting. We'll finally get it to the integration of the different techs. You've mentioned heart rate, mentioned GPS, obviously lots on VBT. And that's obviously the holy grail, pulling all this right. together, right. The various different moving parts to make the, paint the clearest picture of where the guys are at. Do we need to pull back? Do we need to, are we, are we all right to push? What does that look like from a physical point of view, from a, um, I suppose, just day-to-day point of view? How do you pull all that together to make a meaningful Get paint a meaningful picture. Yeah. Um, so one of the huge benefits of being at a place like LSU, right, is is um, you have the budget in order to have a all of these technologies to look at, and then B, we have a staff where Coach Moffitt uh, has done a great job as far as just uh, delegating responsibilities to different members. So by all means, I do not do all this on my own. Uh, first and foremost, it is you know we have Vic Valoria; he does all the GPS data. Um, Myself and Tim Johnson look at all this perch stuff. 
Uh, Connor Neighbors does all of our force plate data stuff. Um, and then we'll take all of that and we'll um, give it, basically give it to Coach Moffitt. And then as a staff, we sit down and we meet and we talk about like, what did this look like? How are we, you know? Um, and, and so there might be certain parts of the year where maybe one person is more important than the other, I guess. But it's really a collective staff effort to bring all this data together. And then how do you make sense of it all? And that's how we kind of come together and we talk about what do we see? Is there differences we need to be, do? Um, what do, you know? And then Coach Moffat will say, this is what I think we need to do. This is what I want. And then we it's our job to then take that and then implement it. So uh, it really is a, the, the, the benefit of having a staff like that he's created of of not just guys in the weight room, but guys who are dedicated to strength and conditioning and want to get them better um, and love it every day. Like that's all you want to, you know, you come into work and you talk about. And so I think that has, has uh, created a very seamless and easy um, daily discussion amongst us. Right. And between all the, because you can make with Excel and you can make all these charts and graphs, it's just really easy to make something simple um, and I've realized by going up to the sport coaches, they don't necessarily love strength conditioning the way that, that we did. They just want to see, are we getting better? They want the heart, like, yeah, it's a yes or no answer to them. And so if you can give them a few nuggets that show real progress or show uh, real readiness to play, they that's all they need. And so we, we kind of take what we think is important. We make it, you know, I don't want to say dumb it down, but simplify it to show who wants to see it. And then as we nerd out on it as much as we can to just make sure that we're doing everything uh, we can to put a, a, a good product on the field. Mm -hmm. So with such a successful season last season, does that mean it's just take two, just go again? No, or does that no, completely change no. because you've got such a big it's set? A good, it's a great learning change. experience, honestly, yeah. for me, you know, going through watching we can now look back and we watch that team get built over a few years um, of maturity level of growth, both on and off the field. Um, and you watched it just, you know, we had an inkling going into last season, like, wow, we could be really good. Like this, we have some really good players that are really bought into this program that um, do everything it takes on and off the field. Uh, they love the weight room. They train hard. They compete at everything. Like it didn't matter if it was a stupid game on the bus, like these guys were competing at something. Um, and, and so you, you saw that. And like I said, now it's kind of, you, you take that whole picture and you, and, and you have a good idea of what a team like that looks like on paper. Um, and now this year, because of, you know, the environment that college football is in now, as far as, guys leaving early, going to the NFL, um, and then you throw COVID and opting out and all that other stuff into it, your team just looks very different. Uh, and so by no means can we can we do the same thing and expect to just get the same result. Um, and so it really is a team-by-team, year-by-year basis. And so it, that's part of the, uh, I guess, the struggle or the, the that's that's what you're trying to overcome for as us, uh, as coaches every year, is how do I make this team the best possible version of it? Uh, and we're, that's a week by week basis right now. Uh, but we're finding, you know, but we do compare, you start looking at like, where were we at last year with this percentage velocity wise, where are we at this? And, and then with the COVID stuff this year, we are also, it's so different. Um, we've actually been in an in-season training program longer now than we normally would have been. So it's just a, it's a weird dynamic of, of how it's been. 
and trying to uh, balance everything. But I think that something like Perch, especially even coming back from quarantine, was something that helped us out a lot because we could kind of tell where guys were at immediately based on that. Like, hey, where? so I created a chart when we first got back after a week or two of where did they move this percentage at pre-COVID and now where are they now? And so, and then we based it on a percentage of like, hey, this guy is deficient by 10%. This guy is right where he was. Like, so he was clearly doing what we told him to do over the, the break. So it was able to kind of get a, a better picture of where we were. So when we programmed, we weren't doing too much too fast, but we certainly were doing enough to create a stimulus that we we're getting better. Cool. One last question mm-hmm. to round up. What's next for you in terms of your implementation of VBT? And secondary question off that, where do you think the technology is going in the future? So for me, I mean, I don't I – th- I think it's it's hard to imagine now um, programming without something like Perch. Uh, that is something that I think from now on will be whether – however long I'm here or not, you know, you never know with coaching where you end up going um, – is that's going to be a staple in my program. I, I, I believe in it. I, uh, you see athletes get better using it. Um, you see athletes get better, I think, maybe a little faster by using it. And um, so as far as me, it's just it's going to be continuing to, to collect data and hone in on, on um, like those markers that maybe are important, right? Realizing like, hey, that's something that like that – I would like to get to a point where I could circle and say, like, we need to get to this, this threshold or this velocity or this whatever to know that we're ready to roll. Like, that's where – and I think that just comes with accumulating more data. Um, as far as where is technology going, um, you know, we talk with Perch. And this is it's, – it's become a really good positive relationship between us and, and them. They're very open to suggestions. And so we start asking – you know, they have some – really big ideas for where Perch can go as far as like, hey, that might be a year out, but like this is where we want it to get to. Um, We have some ideas with them that I think will make, you know, I don't think you're ever going to replace the coach. You know, I think you still need that human element, the relationship element to get the most out of the athlete. But if we can make how we program even easier by whether it's, helping with some of our eccentric stuff or isometric stuff or um, how it calculates uh, load or percentage or how it even shifts between athletes or, you know, you can play around facial recognition stuff as far as just identifying who is at the rack, what am I doing it? So now I'm even touching less buttons. I'm just at the rack. It recognizes who's there. It switches. Um, That kind of stuff I think will just make it even more seamless so that like, once you train on something like that, you'd be like, well, I would never do that without it. Um, and that I feel like every weight room in the country should have something like that. Uh, certainly at this level, um, to, to just optimize what you're doing. Um, but for us, it just takes some of the guesswork out. And I think the more technology advances, the, maybe the more dialed in you can even get. Especially in a post, well, during COVID and post COVID world, the less you spend, less touching the, Touching the iPad right. or whatever it is, the, right. the better. Yeah, that might be things mm-hmm. things that people are thinking a lot about. Yeah, nice. Well, thank you very much for your time, Jeremy. I do yeah, appreciate yeah. it. I, I enjoyed the chat we had yeah. beforehand, and yeah. uh, obviously this one as well. But no, I appreciate it. Where can people get in touch with you? Talk about any of this stuff. 
Um, yeah. I'll, I'll um, link to the MIT video as well. Okay. From you, from you personally. Yeah, That's if you have place. any questions, uh, my email is just uh, it's jjaco52 at lsu.edu. Um, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at uh, at jers j e r s three one five. I'm not a I use social media. I don't post a ton of social media stuff. Uh, so if you're, I mean, if you want me to post a bunch of stuff that we're doing, you're probably not going to find it there. Okay. <laughs> but but uh, I'm happy to answer any questions or help anybody out that has any questions uh, regarding this. Um, or at least, you know, and maybe some people, there's probably people out there that know more than I do that, you know, yeah. if they got something that recommendations for me, I'd be happy to hear it. Yeah. Perfect. Happy days. I'm going to let you get on with your day. We finished bang on the hour. So uh, I'll let you crack on, but really appreciate, appreciate you your time, Jeremy. Oh, I appreciate you. Thanks. Thanks, mate. Speak to you. Thanks for tuning in to episode 319 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoy the chat with Jeremy. So big thanks to Jeremy for giving up his time, but also huge thanks to Hawking Dynamics, I Measure You, Black Box Fitness, Kitman Labs, and Perch for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run in its current form without these guys, so really, really do appreciate it. It's been a busy time for Jeremy at LSU, especially around COVID and dealing with everything that's going on. However, I really appreciate his time and coming on and being so open about the program at LSU and what they do and potentially don't do with velocity-based training. So thank you for tuning in, and I will chat to you next week.